Welcome to another edition of Talking T20 with me, Daniel Norcross. And once again, I am joined by Elfin Wunderkind, Matt Roller of ESPN Quick Info. It's, it's lovely to be reunited after we were miles apart last week. Yeah, very nice to be back with you, Dan. It's, it, well, it's delicious. It's delightful. And we're in a room, we're in a green room, and we're surrounded by paper and cameras and... We are going to look back on a week that has been, well, record-breaking, scintillating, astounding. There have been sides that have been that have won three games, like Somerset. There have been sides who haven't played a game at all, like Worcestershire. I have no idea how that happened. We've seen rain, terrible quantities of abandonments. The North Group has been saturated. The South Group, slightly less so. There's bunching throughout the North Group. There's starting to see some bigger teams running away with it in the South Group. We've had, as I say, a world record. We are going to talk more about that. We've got transfer news. We've got KSL news. But I think what we need to do, though, is start with the news of the Three Musketeers. Somerset's Three Musketeers. Three men who are aiming to get Somerset's treble ambitions back on track. Tom Banton, Baba Azam and Tom Abel, in a week where Somerset have won three matches, they've dragged themselves from lower table obscurity right into the qualification positions. They're up now into fourth with those three wins. We've seen 100 from Tom Banton, we've seen unbeaten 90 from Baba Azam, and unheralded throughout this, the glue that is Tom Abel. They're starting to really motor now, aren't they? This is what we call momentum. Yeah, yeah. well, Tom Abel's been a very fast-scoring glue as well. I think he's um, the third-best strike rate out of anyone with more than 200 runs, and he's he's someone who um, no one really considered was a T20 player a couple of years ago. I think he only broke into the team for last summer, and... um, you know he's been he, he's captain and now all three formats in the absence of the injured Lewis Gregory and has uh, has transformed his game really he's been playing all sorts of audacious paddles and ramps and laps and reverses all over the place and it just looks like a really good touch player in that middle um, and you know no better place to be coming in than behind the the blast two leading run scorers in Babar and Banton. Um, Let's just run through his scores this week. Somerset themselves posted over 200 in their three matches. 225 for six against Ailing Essex. 202 for four in a match which they thrashed Hampshire. And then 206 for eight against high-flying Kent. And amidst all that, Abel was getting none of the headlines, but he got 45 in that first match. He got 57 in the second. He got 63 off 33 in that remarkable partnership with Tom Banton, who was all over Twitter. It's... it's exactly what you need, isn't it? You've got these stars at the top of the order just being perfectly complimented by their captain. Yeah, um, and they they suddenly look like they've found a found a formula that works. And it is, you know, we it's a much overrated thing in my opinion. Momentum and the idea that you know, I I think that teams do go on a certain run at certain points. But I think the most important thing for Somerset is that they finally worked out a game plan with the bat. Um, they've they've had a, a bit of um, a bit of trouble really this year in terms of finding out who their what their best team was um and you know they, they've they've left out peter trigo who's been at the club for however many years and is in his late 30s and the the it seems to be the case that he's sort of slowly being phased out um and also, then last year's special man lewis gregory who had a, yeah. a strike rate of over 200 he's picked up a bit of a, an injury we're not quite sure how long he's going to be out for at least a week possibly two so to do this Without, as you said, you mentioned Trigo and without Gregory as well. I mean, it's not just the batting that's come to the fore. We've seen twin spinners, Rolof von der Murfer, picking up five for 32, and Max Waller 
three for 26. It, they're, they're combining spin, but they've also got pace as well with Craig Overton. He picked up three wickets in and over against Kent, which absolutely broke that game uh, for Somerset. So they just feel to me like the all-round package. When you've got enough bat- batters who are who are in form, you know that they're going to fail every now and then. But if you know that another one's going to come off, that gives you an awful lot of comfort, doesn't it? Yeah, they do look like a good side. Um, I, you know, I think the bowling is probably the weaker suit. Um, I, I like the way Abel sort of captained in a very similar way to Gregory and that he quite often has people for one over spells um the other thing that was very noticeable in that win against kent on saturday night the televised game was how good their fielding was there were two run outs from from the deep by uh tom lamanby the 19 year old i think all-rounder um and you know they look really really good in the infield as well um sort of hot, hot on the heels of uh the, the best handful of teams in the in the uh in the south group at the moment i think they're did we say fourth and uh, just a couple of points off the pace of, of Middlesex, who are currently second and uh, in in the driving seat, I suppose, for a home quarter final. Well, yes, I mean they've caught it. We'll, we'll we'll have a little look at the table, shall we? Because uh, Sussex won both of their games this week. Somerset and Sussex are the two sides to have a hundred percent record uh, in the entire country. In actual fact, no one else had, uh, has a hundred percent record this week. Somerset winning three, Sussex winning two matches against hapless and luckless Glamorgan. They pulled off a nine-wicket victory with six overs to spare. Who knows how important net run rate's going to be for them. And then, in what I suppose you'd class as a top-of-the-table clash, we wouldn't have thought that at the beginning of the season, a victory over Middlesex by four wickets. What's noticeable to me about Sussex is that almost no one is noticeable. And I think this is a terrific, a terrific quality to have. You know, you're not picking out individual players. Uh, Delray Rawlins has been and is now going off to Bermuda, isn't he? We saw mm-hmm. a little bit of Phil Salt uh, with an unbeaten 78 and Luke Wright contributing as ever. But there's no real standout batsman. They've just got that wonderful all-round bowling attack. Ollie Robinson uh, picked up a few wickets this week. And while they don't have Joffre Archer, what a great replacement he is to have. Yeah, and Robinson is is very unheralded as a T20 bowler. I think he only played four of their games last season and he's, he, he's taken nine wickets. He's got an economy under seven so far and... Uh, along with Tymel Mills and Reese Topley and a few other guys who you wouldn't necessarily be relying on. And they, they were exactly the sort of people you'd be hoping to step up in the uh, absence of first uh, Archer and secondly, uh, Chris Jordan, who was injured for the start of the competition. He's back now, of course. He is. And Rashid Khan is back. So yeah. that Sussex side is now starting to look very strong. It's, they played a 1-6, tied one, no result one. They've not lost a game. They're the only side in T20, apart from Kent, not to have lost a match. Sorry, I beg your pardon. They're the only side <laughs> not to have lost a match. Full stop. Uh, not just this week, but all weeks. So mm. I've got Sussex. I think they were pre-tournament favourites. I've got them going through, and I've got them going through with a home quarter-final. We then mentioned Middlesex, who have uh, confounded expectations. And this hasn't just been about A.B. de Villiers. I mean, this week saw a couple of, uh, well, remarkable things for the South Group. Middlesex performing the double over Surrey. Mm. That never happens. I should point out Surrey performing the double over Glamorgan. That <laughs> never happens. Yeah. And Somerset beating Kent for the first time in, in 12 goes, wasn't it? So Middlesex, I think when we did our, our pre-season preview, there was a lot of scepticism about Middlesex. They're in second place at the moment, just behind Sussex with 12 points to Sussex's 14. They're level on points with Kent. And for them... 
what has been most gratifying, especially for their fans, I think, has been the rejuvenation of Stephen Finn, who looks back on it. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting season for Middlesex, and they have very much confounded uh, their pre-tournament expectations. I think the interesting thing, uh, listening to Darwin Milan talk about it on uh, on Sky after their victory against Surrey, was um, his his emphasis on the fact they've played five bowlers every game. And by five bowlers, I mean five out-and-out bowlers, I suppose. There's not an all-rounder in there. They've had... Uh, Tom Helm, Toby Rowland Jones, uh, Finn, Nathan Souter, and uh, Majib. Um, and in previous years, they've quite often had an all rounder, someone of the, you know, thinking back a while, someone like Gareth Berg, or more recently a James Fuller, someone who can kind of bat six or seven, but a bit of a, a bits and pieces player, I suppose. But instead, this year, they've decided that it's very important to their strategy that they have five bowlers who have reasonably set roles um and you know helm and majib are both going around six and over in the power play roland jones bowl well at death and Souter and finn have, have been impressive in the middle finn has had a very interesting season really i um i saw him twice two weeks ago once against uh kent where he he was brilliant for three overs and then came back at the death at the wrong end was completely thrown off his plans by alex blake and went for 25 and an over uh, and then against Somerset, where despite the fact he took the sort of uh, match-altering wickets in the middle overs, he ended up going for 62 as well, which is one of the most expensive analyses we've seen this season. But I, I'm informed he bowled very well at uh, Radlett the other day in their win against uh, Gloucestershire when he took three for 18. Um, and they they do look a very strong side. They've also uh, just roped in Mohamed Hafiz uh, moments before we started recording this podcasts uh, that, that, that's the like for like replacement for ab davidius isn't it <laughs> which um it seems a, a an odd one i suppose but they're getting somebody who's hugely experienced with bat and ball yeah and i think he's only there for three games if he makes one decent contribution that dan lincoln or nick govins wouldn't have made then i expect it'll be worthwhile um what's what's the situation with uh, morgan because obviously ab a. davidius having a bit of mm. uh, he, he's not there for the whole season uh middlesex fans it's been a bit of a lesser spotted Morgan for them. He's been in and out and around and about. Uh, what's the, what's the expectation for the rest of this season? Do you think? Yeah, I don't think Middlesex fans have particularly held uh, held Morgan in with too much fondness over the years. I think they've definitely sort of questioned why he hasn't been in various championship teams and why he hasn't perhaps quite done the business for them and doesn't quite always look up for it. But he um, he, he batted very well at Lords against uh, Surrey in that in that convincing win. Um, and then missed the next game with, I think, a back injury at Sussex when they sudden, suddenly looked very understrength when you took out those two superstars, uh, but then was back at the weekend against uh, Gloucestershire, and I imagine is primed to play in the rest of the uh, the five group games they have left. Well, because if you have Morgan and Milan, and Milan is in terrific form, unbeaten 90, 91 against Gloucestershire from 59 balls, as you mentioned, Middlesex is pummeling of Surrey. I don't really like to dwell on it particularly. <laughs> but Morgan was 70 off 39. A.B. De Villiers contributing 64 off 40. If they get the runs on the board, they've got the bowling attack to do it. I guess the concern is the consistency within that batting lineup. And if they do lose De Villiers and Morgan, then as you mm. say, that can look a little bit thin. A lot rests then on Dawid Milan. But they're riding high at the moment. They're second on net run rate above Kent. Kent for the first time really this season have had a faltering um they've i think they've been pretty decent in the county championship they've done better than their fans expected um and here finally they've, they've lost a couple of games they went into this week having played seven one six lost one 
but they had two defeats. It's no disgrace to lose to Somerset, of course, but they'll be a little bit disappointed, I guess, when you, you say you don't believe in momentum, but you don't really want to be uh, losing quite badly to Gloucestershire as well, because that just, mm. you sort of sense that if they had won that game, then there would really be four teams that are sort of riding out into the sunset. You just wonder if Kent might get caught up. Yeah, the, the good news for Kent is that they have Sam Billings back, who played in that uh, that defeat at Taunton, and I don't. I think I'm right in saying he's not going to be keeping wicket for the rest of the season, but he is still a very good fielder, um, and of course brings a lot to their middle order. Um, I was looking at I was looking at Kent the other day with a bit of sort of puzzlement because they look at quite a good side to me. The interesting thing for me was that they have um, six batsmen who have scored between 120 and 250 runs. Um, which may not sound at all interesting, no, it's but I th- fascinating. That. I think it. Um, <laughs> I think it shows that they have, uh, you know, several several people who are capable of getting the odd score here and there, but perhaps haven't had the one consistent person like a Milan at the top of the order who's been churning out the runs every week. So you know, that is, I suppose, it's a double edged sword because it means that you know, if one of six performs, some there are games where that's enough, uh, and there are games where that's not enough, and it seems like they've just had a couple of those, um, and they, they've also had uh, in. Rankayam, the left arm spinner, has been out of the past couple of games with a, a niggle, which has, I think, upset the balance of the team a little bit. But um, I think they'll be looking to go on a reasonable run. They, you know, five games left. I think they'll they'll have some confidence going into the rest of it. Well, we've looked at Somerset. I'm just going to have a quick look at the other contenders. Well, first of all, I'm afraid it's over for Glamorgan. They prop up the table with three points from nine matches. Even if they were to win their last five games, they could only get to 13 points. And I'm fairly confident that 14 is going to be the absolute minimum and with a very good net run rate mm-hmm. to get through. And it's probably going to be one or two points more than that. So I think we can say goodbye to Glamorgan. Surrey are quite definitely binge drinking in the last chance saloon. <laughs> they've, they've got to win their last five and handsomely because they have a poor net run rate. So realistically, I'm, I'm sort of saying goodbye to Surrey as well. So with the top four currently of Sussex, Middlesex, Kent, Somerset, then let's look at the other contenders, Gloucestershire, Hampshire and Essex in that order. Gloucestershire had a pretty decent week. Won two matches, lost one, but news of an injury, which in, will not in, please Gloucester fans. Indeed, Benny Howell out for the rest of the season, which is oh, for, for, for the many uh, cricketing T20 hipsters will be terrible news. Um, he sort of developed a, a bizarre cult following, but, you know, with good reason. He's, he's a... Uh, He's a short form specialist. He's got a hell of a lot of different slower balls, a lot of knuckle balls, and uh, has again impressed this season. I don't think he's quite got the wickets we're maybe used to, but he's still bowling very tightly. Um, so yeah, very very bad news um, for Gloucestershire fans. But they have signed a replacement in uh, Zach Chapel. He's quite a curious signing. We were talking before we came on about um, you know the fact it seems a little bit odd that he's uh, not been in the Nottinghamshire team. But I suppose he's one of these guys who. Uh, you know, the quicker he bowls it, the quicker it gets hit away. So, mm. well, that'll be that will be intriguing. Uh, Gloucestershire picked up their victories this week over Kent, which is a very strong win in a quite a low-scoring match. And then you have to say, I mean, and this is not a Surrey bias, quite a fortunate win over Surrey on Duckworth <laughs> Lewis. Um, Surrey ninety-four for two off twelve overs, chasing one hundred and sixty-six to win. Sam Curran with an unbeaten fifty-one, and yet Duckworth Lewis decided that wasn't enough. I'm afraid. And so Gloucestershire, who may well have won the game anyway, uh, got themselves over the line for Surrey. Br- brief word on Surrey. Their batting, as suddenly, it doesn't look quite right, does it? With no disrespect at all to the, the players I'm about to mention, but Sam Curran at three, Ben Folks at five, mm. Ollie Pope at four, 
Um, they've struggled with injuries. They've struggled with England call-ups. They haven't quite had the signings come off in the way they needed to. Aaron Finch, I suspect, needed to score an absolute mountain of runs with that light batting lineup because folks at five just doesn't quite feel right, does it? Yeah, they're not. They they don't have a deep enough batting lineup, and there are too many uh, all, all rounders who aren't really doing too much with bat or ball, like Ricky Clark and Jordan Clark, um, are sort of not doing loads. We also we spoke in our preview show. Um, all those weeks ago about Will Jacks, who's you know was probably the person at the start of the tournament who we thought might do what Tom Banton's ended up doing, but instead he's got you know 180 runs, he's averaging 20, he's striking at 135. Not awful stats for a, a guy coming in age 20 or so, um, but equally not quite the breakout tournament we might have it hoped. Needed, it needed to be massive, didn't it? Really, just yeah. because of just because of the the thinness and the problem that Surrey have had with, as we say, with. With call-ups and injuries and what have you. So I've written them off. We think Gloucestershire are going to be there or thereabouts. They mm-hmm. often are in white ball. That leaves us with Hampshire and Essex. Hampshire have got a game in hand over Gloucestershire. If they were to win that, they'd be level on points and just one point behind Somerset in fourth place. So it is bubbling up nicely there. And Essex is the other side who are not out of it because they too have a game in hand. If they were to win that, they'd move to within two points of Somerset but things just aren't quite gelling for Essex are they after that spectacular start when Cameron Delport scored that incredible 100 against Surrey and they got 230 odd in 15 overs it's all been a little bit claggy for them they've lost one match they had one match abandoned this week and their loss was a heavy one to Somerset bowled out for 111 and replied to 225 for six they need to start winning and they need to start winning fast yeah their bowling has been really really poor this year I think it's fair to say Bapara um his, his slow mediums are the only uh, bowler who's gone at sub eight per over. Simon Harmer, he was brought in as T20 skipper, is going at ten and a half. Uh, Jamie Porter has been out with injuries. Mohamed Amir's probably not quite had the impact you'd hope. Uh, and you know a few a few of the younger guys like Shane Snater have been really you know bashed around the place, and some fairly ugly figures been returned. Um, they do actually have in Dan Lawrence and Tom Wesley a couple of guys who haven't been brilliant in T20 for the past two years who have really made clear improvements with the bat um, Lawrence is a, a brilliant player to watch if you get the chance to see Essex on TV or at Chelmsford I, I, you know he's worth the entry fee alone one of those when he bats he's, well, he's got a, his, his, the pair of wrists on that boy are magnificent <laughs> well I saw his, his partnership with Delport against Surrey and it was terrific I mean Delport was amazing but he was not overshadowed by Dan Lawrence, who uh, did, as you said, very, very risky player. Mm. But they're going to need to win, and they need to win pretty quickly. We'll have a look at, at what fixtures are coming up towards the back end of the programme. So that is the tale of the South group this week. Hampshire played that one game, and it was a marmalising at the hands of Somerset. Uh, it was the only game they played. They've still got a chance to get right back into the tournament, having seven points, as I say. If they were to win their game in hand over Gloucestershire, Somerset, etc., they will be knocking on the door of qualification. You never write off Hampshire. They're frequently in and around finals day. But before we look at the North Group, uh, just a, a little word on some stuff that's come out this week. I saw the the article that uh, you and David Hops and uh, and Paul Edwards had written. And the news of great crowds at the Blast. We were very disappointed that the um, Roses match didn't happen because there was very exciting talk that that was going to be the highest attended domestic match outside <laughs> London on a Tuesday or whatever it was when there's when, an R in the month, when there's yeah. an R in the month. But, no, but, but genuinely it was it was looking like it was going to be huge and Lancashire moving up behind Surrey and Middlesex as the best attended uh, best attended county 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a theme throughout the summer, really. We we spoke a few weeks ago about the sort of post-World Cup bounce that ticket sales have had, and it seems to have extended right through. Um, it is just a shame that we've had so many games cooled off as well. I think uh, in the North group, it's been that's kind of been the tale of it. I think that part of the reason it's been so bunched is that there have been so many no results. Um, and it is a massive shame because, you know, it's not good for counties and it's not good for... Uh, it's not good for spectators either. There have been nine no results in the North Group and and one tie. Mm. Nine, and yet still the attendances are holding up. I mean, one wonders what would have happened in a hot summer. Yeah, yeah. People would have been turned away, presumably. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 been a, a continuous theme, as we've said, and I, I suppose the the one of the problems for all these people who will who will spin this as a sort of um, pro blast thing is that quite a lot of the grounds that seem to be experiencing the bounce are, are the ones that will be host venues for the hundred next summer. So as far as the ECB are concerned, the fact that they've not actually had to put that much into promotion this summer, if if anything, into promotion of uh, blast ticket sales or whatever, um, they, despite that, all the, all the venues that are hosting hundred games seem to be experiencing little boosts in the crowds anyway. Even even Cardiff. Well, who knows about Cardiff? It's a slightly different, uh, slightly yes. different gig. I think Cardiff will be the acid test for the hundred next year, won't it? Well, yes, I'd say Cardiff and, and the AGS Bowl for slightly yeah. different reasons. It's just the the proximity of of, uh, of Cardiff's ground to the centre means it ought to do well, and then, yeah. then the opposite is the case with the AGS Bowl. It's a little bit harder to access so that's good news um, crowds flocking in not so good news unfortunately on the rain there are a couple of other things that came out of that article though as well um, you've got a lovely story to tell about a certain chris green yeah chris green um is is probably the antithesis of everything of everything that um a certain generation loved about cricket and he is he's 25 years old he's yet to make his first class debut um, and he's very close to completing the set of T20 leagues around the world. I think he's just an IPL short after uh, after this week. But he is uh, he managed to play on I think it was Thursday and Friday. He managed to play uh, two T20s in the space of 24 hours. The first in Canada and the second in uh, Birmingham, which is no mean feat in and of itself. Um, perhaps more interesting, which is a recent development, courtesy of uh, your BBC colleagues, in fact, Dan. Uh, is that uh, so Green came to the UK and he qualifies as an overseas player courtesy of his UK passport, um, which is what you know how how he gets in despite the fact he doesn't play international cricket, um, as I'm sure many uh, eagle-eyed sort of people who care about visas will will know. Um, and yeah, he uh, he he didn't have his UK passport in Canada, but needed it to play for Birmingham, uh, which seemed like a bit of a problem. But instead of panicking or sort of flying home to sydney first he put a facebook status out supposedly uh, and said to does any anyone i'm friends with on here fancy uh going around to my house uh unlocking the door saying hi to my parents asking for my passport and then coming on an all expenses paid trip to toronto for the weekend um and lo and behold one of them did had a nice spa resort weekend watched the blue jays game and uh gave chris his passport um and off he went and uh then had a, a rain affected <laughs> defeat at edgebaston to top off a, a sort of bizarre 24 hours that is that is absolutely bizarre isn't it <laughs> um i'm not sure i would have done that for him it's a long way to travel 
from Australia to Toronto for a weekend, notwithstanding the Blue Jays. I suppose you've really got to fancy <laughs> the, the, the Blue Jays, but it's a beautiful story. Uh, I wonder, is, is, could it be an intriguing signing? As you say, somebody who's yet to play first-class cricket, but a, a name that's fairly well-known. This may start to become more and more prevalent. You also uh, wrote in that article about Ed Pollock, yes. who, since we're talking about Birmingham, was a man who... Um, we might have expected to see more of this season, but it hasn't happened for him, has it yet? No, he he had four failures in his first four innings, and then was sort of unceremoniously dropped. Which, um, you know, I I, I could be missing a, a minor injury or something, or I, I don't know the circumstances of it particularly well. But from afar, it definitely looks like a, a strange call. I think if you're going to have someone in your team as a pinch hitter um, and someone who you sort of demand scores at 200 strike rate, um, it seems counterintuitive to then be dropping them after a few failures because you know the law of averages dictates that they will they will fail more than they succeed um and yeah he then hit a 38 ball 100 for uh their second team on the same day that they were uh gunned down by the unlikely source of colin ackerman's uh offspin which might prove a good place to start well it might let's let's do that because let's move into the north group because the north group this week it's such a higgledy-piggledy affair. There were six matches that were actually completed. Two were abandoned without a ball being bowled. One was abandoned pretty much halfway through. And in those six matches, six different teams managed to end up as winners. Five different teams managed to end up as losers. Six different teams had matches that were abandoned. And one side didn't have a fixture at all, Worcestershire. Mm. Uh, so it's really pretty much as you were. So let, let's go into that because it was, it's world record time, ladies and gentlemen. If we had a drum roll, I would, <laughs> I would play it. We don't. But it's world record for Colin Ackerman, seven for, what was it yet? 18? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how you get seven for 18. I saw an over earlier this year that was one over three for 13. I thought that was fairly remarkable. But, <laughs> but to bowl four overs and get seven for 18 is going some. You witnessed it. What was going off out there? Well, it was a very strange evening. I was actually, I was sat in the office having my dinner and uh, suddenly looked up, looked up from it and thought, this is a bit strange. Colin Ackerman's taken three wickets and then all of a sudden I decided I would keep watching and then Colin Ackerman suddenly had four wickets, then five, then six and then all of a sudden I was digging out the, uh, the best bowling figures in T20 history page on the site. Um, this was and, against Birmingham let's not forget uh, in a in a very heavy defeat for Birmingham against Leicestershire yeah they they'd looked they'd looked reasonably well placed um before, before that sort of killer spell of not really turning very far 55 mile an hour darts from Ackerman but um you know I think it, to be fair if you look at who the man he surpassed being Errol Sapaya who was a similarly sort of part-time finger spinner um it, perhaps it's fitting that it was uh it was Ackerman rather than uh, you know, a Jasper Boomer or someone of that ilk. That uh... you were slightly disparaging <laughs> about the deliveries with which he was taking those wickets earlier. <laughs> uh, you, do you want to come clean? You, uh, I think what your your exact phrase was: they were all out trying to slog it over deep mid wicket. Well, it's not entirely unfair. Well, his first one was a, a, a good low catch, but I think it was Harry did in a um, sort of short cover. Um, and then from there, there were several caught deep mid wicket. Um, there were a couple that were bold when they were trying to hit it to Deepman Wicket. Um, I thought quite quite interestingly, actually, just before he'd taken the, the, the wicket that 
sealed the record. Uh, whoever would have been on commentary, Rob Key maybe, said something along the lines of, you know, there's Jeetan Patel, a fellow off spinner in here. There's no chance he'll, he'll be obliging enough to give him, <laughs> give him another one here. At which point Patel decided with a required rate of about 30, there wasn't too much point hanging around and promptly slogged him straight up in the air down deep mid wicket's throat again. Um, and yeah, it was it, it, sort of a, a bizarre, a half hour or so of, of cricket but um you know he he couldn't believe it afterwards clearly and um i'm not sure any of us could well mercifully it was some cricket and that's unfortunately the story of the north group mm. so that let's just run you briefly through those abandonments that we mentioned already lancashire yorkshire was abandoned leicestershire against north hans was abandoned at sort of the halfway stage leicester have made 137 for nine ben sanderson again picking up wickets for north hans Northants just got their reply started when the match was abandoned. And the other abandonment, Durham against Notts. Durham's first abandonment, you may be thinking this is a, a problem with the north of England. It's actually, it's actually a problem with the sort of Midlands mm. and, and south north of England. It's that belt really from the Pennines down to round about Northampton where the rain has been falling. Durham, their first abandonment, which has somewhat arrested their uh, move up the table. So I'm going to give you just a quick snapshot. Leicestershire and Northants picking up three points from two matches. Durham picking up three points from three matches. They'll be happy enough with that, I would think. Uh, Notts picking up three points from three matches. Birmingham just the two points from three matches. That win and two losses. Derby two points from two matches. Lancashire just a one point from two, but they still stay top. Yorkshire desperately need the points because they are languishing at the foot of the table the one point from those two matches and, and Worcestershire not playing so taking a look at the table Lanks they're not home and hosed but they've just lost the one match in nine they've had three no results and five victories 13 points they're top of the table three points clear of Nottinghamshire who started the campaign with a loss against Worcestershire uh, but Worcestershire are level with them on points, but just behind on net run rate. But they have a game in hand, so 10 points each for Notts and Worcestershire. Tucked in right behind them, uh, Durham, with nine points on nine matches. A cla- this is classic T20 form. One four, lost four, no result one. Classic mid-table. <laughs> uh, Birmingham, who, I, as I said, will be a bit disappointed with this week's efforts. Those two losses taking them down into fifth. They've won three Lost four, they have a tie and no results. So they have eight from nine nine games. And we're sort of thinking that 14 is going to be the benchmark to give you a chance. 15, you're in with a better chance, obviously. And once you get to 16 points, you would expect either to be definite, definitely qualifying or, or up there with net run rate. That's mm-hmm. sort of the way I think we'll be looking at this season. Uh, for Northants, they have seven from eight. Sorry, I should say Leicester, eight from nine, as well as Birmingham down there in sixth place so they're still in with a great chance a win there would give them 10 from 10 which is what we're sort of looking at Northants have seven from eight and derby seven from eight so a win for either of those sides they've got a game in hand give them nine from nine and again keeps them in the hunt and yorkshire aren't out of it but they've got to start winning they've got six points from nine matches with five games left they've got to win at least four out of five Mm. very possibly all five so picking through the runes we've talked a little bit about Birmingham they're faltering ever so slightly those two losses I suppose a successful week for Northants you know they've got themselves a win against Durham which they may not necessarily have seen coming and a, and a decent win at that yeah I'm uh, Northants have sort of they had that that 
period of four years from 2013 to 2016 where there were you know massive overachievers and you know the the, the money ball team of county cricket um and sort of successful against all the odds in t20 but last year they were miserably bad and this year they've been sort of all right ish um they i think their their batting's been the main problem josh cobb their top scorer has 134 runs in the tournament which is not very many for a team's top scorer um, with the ball, they've been a bit better. Graham White, Fahim Ashraf, both both had uh, had pretty tidy seasons. But yeah, it's it, it as you say, it is so bunched. Anyone who goes on a run of three wins um, suddenly looks pretty well placed. You'd have to say. Um, the other thing I was saying just before this is the sort of little uh, little nugget that's interesting only to people as as boring as myself. But uh, we've we've ended up in a position where uh, the top four in each group. Uh, is only there's there's only one team in this year's current top four that wasn't in the eventual top four last year, which was Middlesex uh, and Gloucestershire, who were the course finalists last year, are in, are in fifth. Um, so for all the sort of supposed randomness of T20, it appears as though we're, we're in for a reasonably similar um, set of outcomes to last year. I, th- I think the way the North Group is looking, um, I, I I would imagine that Lancashire and Nottinghamshire are pretty well placed not least given they they are probably the two strongest squads in there the Worcestershire as current holders will be pleased as well actually in a way not to have yeah. played this week won't they have seen everybody else take points off each other and they've got a game in hand don't forget so a victory and, for them in that game in hand would take them just a point below Lancashire and into second place and they've got two guys who you would sort of imagine are due sometime soon in Callum Ferguson and Ross Whiteley both of whom have had sort of uncharacteristically lean seasons um, and both of those two are two good players to go an entire tournament without putting up a score or two um so i think they they will probably be reasonably confident in their chances and then from there it is literally a case of anyone who can string together a couple of wins i think um durham and notably darcy short are probably uh you know probably my favorites um easy to say when they're the current yeah. fourth place team but um yeah, I think they're 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 probably the most likely as far as I'm concerned. But you know, any any of those teams um, could could do it with a couple of wins, really. Well, we ought to know more next week. But I say ought because the weather forecast for the coming week is well, it's grim. Uh, Wednesday <laughs> and Friday has got two great fronts of rain coming across. And I'm just going to run you through the fixtures that could therefore get affected because. Um, there aren't there aren't a great deal of blast fixtures that aren't on on Wednesday and Friday because we we take a break for county championship action quite sensationally at the back end of this week. So Northants play Lancashire on Wednesday. That that game's in big trouble. Northants may be quite happy to pick up a point against Lancashire. You may think. Mm. I'm, I'm just looking in the North group here at the moment. In the South group, Essex play Middlesex and Kent play Glamorgan. Kent would dearly have loved to have had a game against Glamorgan, but. <laughs> Do you know that front might just save them because uh, it, it's just, it's going a little bit further north of Canterbury. They may get the game in, and Essex Middlesex may be rained off, which would be well not good news for Essex, who need all the points they can get. Um, and then, if I look further forward, um, Thursday we think it's going to be pretty decent weather. Durham play Worcestershire. What a game that is! Third v fourth, uh, very important game. Surrey play Sussex. That's Surrey's genuine very last chance to even hold on, but you, you fancy that will be the end of their campaign. And if Sussex win it, they're really on the verge of claiming a home quarter final. Not not statistically, definitely, but they will be getting into that kind of territory. Derbyshire play Leicestershire this week. That's a big game. Derbyshire have a game in hand over Leicestershire if they were to win that game. 
they'd leapfrog them and keep a game in hand and be knocking their foot on the door of qualification. And then we look at the Friday games, and these are all currently in jeopardy. Lancashire against the Birmingham Bears. Again, I think at this stage, Lancashire would be happy to pick up a point against sides that are up near the top. They're so far ahead now that yeah. every point they get is just going to confirm their qualification. North Ants play Leicester. Those are two sides who desperately want that game to take place. Knotts play Derbyshire. Uh, Somerset play Gloucestershire on the same day. Essex play Glamorgan. Hampshire play Surrey. Kemp play Sussex. Yorkshire v Durham. We could be talking about records being broken, Matt Roller, because that is the last of the T20 blasts this week. Then, when the weather looks like perking up, there's no game on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And on Sunday, I don't know what you make of this, but we, we break for county championship action. Uh, it's it's all slightly crazy, isn't it? I mean, we talk about we talk earlier earlier in the summer how there was the the bizarre week of um, you know one the the Cheltenham festival just sort of manages to get its own window in the summer to the extent that Gloucestershire uh, played a championship game in the second week of the blast. I think it gets Worcestershire actually, and then Worcestershire again missed all their cricket this week because they were playing that tour game uh, against the Australians. Um, and yeah, I. I can't quite get my head around um, the scheduling of this championship game. I think not least as well because I think the way it works is that um, that round starts on the scheduled day five of the Lord's Test, so it's not even like people who aren't play who sort of you know maybe a Sam Curran or a Joe Denley whoever ends up missing out at Lords. Um, one of they probably won't go back into the championship. Well, they, team. they might they might be released, mightn't they? If, if you get into day five of a test match, who but knows? That, yeah, yeah. that game would then finish on the Wednesday, and I think yes. the next test starts the following Thursday. Very so good it's point. Not really, time you know maybe Moeen. We, we hear he's taking a short break from cricket. I think he um he may he may be um in contention for that championship game, but I can't really understand what the logic is behind the scheduling. I mean, there's I think there's almost a case for them. For there to be some kind of almost like an invitational game put in the schedule for players who aren't in the blast or something. I, I was trying to think of some alternative the other day because, you know, I heard Jack Leach's list of opponents go something like Ireland, North Perrot, CC and Australia because he, he was That's back, right. back at Taunton Dean on. playing last weekend and then... James Anderson was bemoaning the fact he didn't get any first any any kind of cricket in um, before the uh, Australia test, and he was you know hoping that maybe he could have played in a championship game if one had been scheduled, but it wasn't there. Um, and you know, there's the Joffrey Archer had to play for Sussex seconds last week, maybe maybe to sort of cope with uh, the the uh, the lack of first team cricket. There should should be some kind of invitational game scheduled, like a sort of. Uh, north v south type thing oh, mid-season. I like, who I, knows I like this idea so state of origin I like this uh, now the KSL's kicked off this week we're going to talk about it in much more detail next week because we're at the the foothills of the KSL and also I mean one advantage for the KSL of this sudden break in play and back to the county championship for one round is that the KSL will get its its space in the sun mm, and mm. it started off uh, terrifically uh, the three previous winners of the KSL, this is KSL number four, the fourth and last. The three previous winners all won on the first day. Southern Vipers defeating the Lancashire Thunder quite convincingly. Um, half centuries for Danny White and Tammy Beaumont, who uh, looking pretty decent for. That's notwithstanding Danny White had a, a two ball duck, but that will happen with, with, with Danny White or I predictor as I like to <laughs> call her, but no one seems to understand why. Uh, the Western Storm. Got a seven-wicket win with three overs to spare against Loughborough. Heather Knight, who's been in terrific form uh, so far in this KSL, she hit 41 
for the Storm against Loughborough. She went on to get an unbeaten 50 against Lancashire. Uh, and uh, 38 of 35 against the Vipers later on in the week. So she's putting the disappointments of uh, the Ashes behind her. So the Storm have, have gone off like a storm. They have won three matches this week. Uh, of the other winners, as I say, the Southern Vipers have won two and lost one. They've played three games. And last year's winners, the Surrey Stars, have won both their opening fixtures. They won on the first day in that triple header day up at Headingley against Yorkshire. Uh, wondered if 130 for nine was going to be enough. And I saw the crowning of what may be the first sightings of what could be a future star in Helen Benby. I a did. leg spinner. Wow. Did you see any of her bowling? I did. It was a real sort of Paul Adams style frog in a blender action. But yeah, it, no it, front Very arm. effective. Yeah, I think she took four for 20, was it? And, you know, it was... Correct. What she did was, Matt, she landed it. She did. I mean, I think she bowled maybe two, two loose balls. And for a, a, leg, a leg spinner with no front arm, that was quite something. I was really impressed. I hope we're going to see more of her. Uh, Sarah Taylor starred for Surrey in that. But then Yorkshire, they collapsed. They were in a decent position to go on and win that game. But Laura Marsh with three for 17 and the crucial wicket of Alyssa Healy, who just looks a class above everything else you see. She did 31 from 16 balls when Maddie Villiers got her for the second time in a week mm. caught in the covers. And that proved to be an absolutely crucial wicket as Yorkshire subsided for 121, bowled out nine runs short of Surrey's 130. So the Viper Storm and Surrey getting off to a great start. Big disappointments for Lancashire, I'd say, more than any of the other three. The Yorkshire Diamonds, I'm not sure if they're going to be strong enough this season. But Lancashire, on paper, do look a good side. They've got Harmon Preet core. They're being well captained by Kate Cross. But it hasn't started well. And I've got to say that uh, Lancashire and Yorkshire, between them, have played five games and not registered a win yet. Yeah, and it's sort of, you know, obviously we're, we're part of the, uh, the biased southern media, but it does look like the south, um, is, is dominating in the KSL, I think, after the, the washed out game at the Oval, um, which is a great shame, by the way. I thought it was, a, you know, for a lot of the, those, uh, those players that don't get to play at the Oval very often, it was a massive shame that their game was called off so early, the, um, sorry, stars against the southern Vipers. But, um, after that game, it looks like, there's clear daylight between the top three and the rest. Um, the, the interesting thing I, I picked out from this week, um, just looking at the top top run scorers, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago um, after uh, after the Women's Ashes, after England's um, second defeat of the T20 series um, at Hove, where I was sort of uh, bemoaning the fact that the KSL last year, for all its sort of um, being sold as a silver bullet, ended up basically being dominated by overseas players. Um, so last year, out of the top 10 run scorers, um, eight were overseas players. But this year, uh, we've had a complete flip and six of the top eight run scorers so far are English. Um, and, you know, leading the way, uh, as we mentioned, Heather Knight from the Western Storm, but also her teammate Fran Wilson. Um, and they put on uh, two impressive partnerships against uh, Thunder and uh, Vipers in the past week. And Fran Wilson is quite an interesting one because she's sort of often been on the fringes of um, the England setup, but has largely flattered to deceive. I think she's only got one uh, score of 50 in an England shirt. Um, and, you know, it would be interesting to see if, uh, you know, I, I feel as though England probably need a little bit of fresh blood. I think part of the problem has been using the same players that um, won the World Cup in 2017 and there's been a bit of stagnation while, uh, you know, Australia and even New Zealand and India have improved quite a lot. Um, and it will be interesting to see if someone like Wilson can nail down a spot in the uh, in the white ball setup over the next year or two. It will. Uh, there are some big games this week. The ones I'm most looking forward to are 
uh, where the big teams play against each other. Storm are playing the Stars. Storm are also playing the Vipers this week. There's going to be two cracking matches to look out for. So that's, I think, pretty much all we have to say on this week. Next week, who knows? Let's hope, let's pray that there won't be too much rain. We could be looking at tables that are pretty much the same, only with a couple of extra games added, but the points differentials being much the same. We shall see. But we are now getting in to that very, very tricky phase when, uh, well, when, when things will be decided and we will start speculating madly about who's going to have home ties and in the KSL, who's going to go straight through to the final. But for this week, from Matt Roller and myself, Daniel Norcross, thanks ever so much and hope you can join us next week.